Hello and welcome to Blue Mesa Red Sky Science and Environmental News Podcast, where we explore current topics in science, engineering, and technology that are relevant to the current news cycle. I'm Dr. Mary Baker, your host for this podcast. In the news this week associated with the nuclear power industry are some concerning reports about the nuclear power facility in the Ukraine, Zephyrisha. There was breaking news today that the International Atomic Energy Agency was able to put inspectors on the site earlier after several hours of delays. The Zaporizhia nuclear power plant has been in the middle of the conflict between Russia and the Ukraine, and some new satellite images that were reduced, released by Maxar Technologies on August 29th show some damage to the roof of the plant. In addition, numerous media sources are reporting fires and shelling in the vicinity of the plant. So far, no damage to the core of the reactor itself has been reported, but it appears that support buildings have suffered some damage. And recent news reports show that shelling is occurring in nearby towns that are in very close proximity to the nuclear plant. It's quite concerning that the repeated shelling and conflict in the region could lead to a nuclear accident or a release of radioactive materials. The plant was actually taken online for the first time in its history on August 25th of 2022 and then put back online. The International Atomic Energy Agency inspectors will visit the plant and that request was under negotiation for quite a while but it has become a reality despite the fact that their trip was quite treacherous and they did encounter shelling and multiple delays on the road. Now the location of the plant, should there be a release of radiation, is such that the prevailing winds, at least at the time of this reporting, would impact a large portion of the Ukraine and some of the southwestern parts of Russia. So the Russians themselves are at risk, at least in certain parts of the Russian Federation particularly those regions that are adjacent to the Ukraine and the South. People in the region have been told to have potassium potassium iodide supplements available and to begin taking those in the event that there is an accident of some sort. The Ukrainians have accused the Russians of storing artillery and other weapons and munitions adjacent to the plant, knowing that the Ukrainians want to avoid a potential accident and will not shell those particular munition and artillery sites. So it's created an overall situation of anxiety and something of a standoff at the Zaporizhia plant. I wanted to take a little time in this podcast to explain and look a little bit into the status of the nuclear power industry. Currently, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency, there are 440 operating nuclear power facilities in the world. Now, there have been some accidents in the past, and it's interesting to look at the three main accidents, and these were called large-scale nuclear meltdowns. These accidents have all occurred at civilian plants. The first one occurred in 1979 in the United States at Three Mile Island in Pennsylvania. The second occurred in 1986 at Chernobyl, which is also in the Ukraine, which at the time was a part of the USSR. And the most recent one occurred in March 2011 at the Fukushima plant in Japan, which was primarily due to the earthquake and the tsunami that followed. But there have been other core meltdowns, ranging from some at military facilities, others at experimental facilities, 
and others at less major facilities or other less major accidents have occurred at civilian facilities. These incidents have ranged all over the world from Canada to the US, Switzerland, France, Czechoslovakia, and there have also been a number of Soviet nuclear submarines that have had nuclear core meltdowns. So all of these are considered nuclear meltdown accidents, which is one of the major kinds of accidents that you can have. This basically occurs when the heat that's generated within the nuclear plant reaction, within the nuclear reaction, exceeds the ability of the cooling system to remove this heat. And when that happens, this causes a feedback reaction that's like a positive feedback reaction. This is one of the reasons why it's extremely important that even when nuclear plants are inactive or not online, the electricity supplied to the plants maintained in order to keep circulating the cooling water so that even in its inactive mode, you're still removing the heat from the core of the nuclear plant. It's just not providing active energy. So there are some of the historical accidents, and partially because of the Fukushima disaster, a number of places in the world have begun to scale down on the amount of energy they produce through nuclear facilities. So it's partly that, and it's partly that originally nuclear power plants were designed to have a 30 to 40 year lifetime. And that's what they're typically approved for, especially in the United States. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission in the U.S. generally licenses a nuclear plant for an operation of 30 to 40 years. If the plants update their control systems and replace worn mechanical parts, then they'll often get some additional extension of that into a 50-60 year range, so they can get an additional 10 to 20 years of operating approval. A lot of our plants in the U.S. are reaching that 30 to 40 lifetime. In fact, throughout the world, a lot of plants are reaching that 30 to 40 year lifetime. It's a generally an aging industry, especially if they have not been updated or upgraded. And so one of the reasons that nuclear power has lost favor is that they're reaching their design lifetime. They're extremely difficult and expensive to construct, and many of the current construction projects have greatly exceeded the timeline that was set aside for that, and the expense has greatly exceeded the budget by a significant amount, partly due to the timeline issues and partly due to just inflation and supply line issues. So of the nuclear facilities that work online, there will be a couple that come online in the next few years, but several projects were canceled or significantly scaled back. Now with the current energy crisis and the energy shortage and the cost of heating, particularly in Europe, as well as issues with climate change and the desire to move away from fossil fuels and coal, nuclear energy is being revisited as a cleaner source of energy. Whether or not you believe that it's cleaner depends on your point of view, but it is true that there are no carbon emissions and none of the emissions that we see in the fossil fuel industry are associated with nuclear energy. So some are revisiting the idea of nuclear energy on a wider scale, and there are indeed some new technologies that hold great potential. In order to understand some of these new technologies, it's important to understand how nuclear plants currently work. By and large, the vast majority of nuclear power plants use regular water that has been highly purified, referred to as light water, as opposed to heavy water which contains isotopes like deuterium. In order to use light water, which is much less expensive, one has to utilize enriched uranium. 
Now, enriched uranium is a special isotope of uranium that's used in the nuclear fuel rods in most power plants that are operating today. Using these nuclear fuel rods means that you have to create enriched uranium. That's what one of the big controversies have been, for example, with the Iranian program for uranium enrichment. If you're using enriched uranium, then it turns out it's an easier step with enriched uranium to make a nuclear weapon. So one of the downsides of the less expensive and simpler technology of using light water with enriched uranium is the process of uranium enrichment. Most of the nuclear power plants do operate with light water and enriched uranium, but there are some significant exceptions, including several plants in Canada that operate with uh, a different technology. So the vast majority of nuclear power plants in service today do use enriched uranium rods along with cooling water. One level of the cooling in a nuclear plant occurs outside of the actual nuclear core where the water comes into an outer shell or an outer structure or cladding and is circulated around the reactor core. This is basically a giant heat exchanger. So energy that's generated by the nuclear reaction in the core transfers heat to the cooling water, which results in high pressure steam that's used to drive a steam turbine, resulting in the generation of electricity. So really, nuclear power plants are just steam turbine generation. The turbine's acting as a generator and produces an output of electricity. That's how the typical nuclear plant works. Now, the fuel rods are bombarded by neutrons, and when they get bombarded by neutrons, the material of the fuel rod changes on the outer surface. These neutrons only penetrate to a certain depth, and at some time, they can no longer penetrate into the rod material. Because of this outer material, after a while, we have what we refer to as spent fuel rods. It turns out the process of nuclear energy generation from enriched uranium fuel rods utilizes only about 10% of the volume of the enriched uranium. So the waste created in the standard nuclear plant ends up being significant. And the storage issue associated with this waste is significant. Cooling issues continue to be a problem even in decommissioned facilities. Some of the newer technologies are looking at really interesting ideas, like the use of suspended nuclear materials in a fluid. And the advantage of this is you can make them much smaller, as much smaller particles. If they're made of smaller particles, then basically the entire nuclear material can be utilized in the reaction, or at least a very large percent of it. So the news, as you know, has been reported this week with the situation in Ukraine and Russia, bring to mind some concerning things about the safety of the fuel management and the reaction management and the ability to avoid meltdown. While some of these newer technologies pose uh, greater safety features, the ones in operation today are the older technology using fuel rods and a cooling water supply. And when we put these nuclear plants into service, there were certain assumptions about the stability of a few things. We assumed that there will be enough stability in the political climate and the economic climate such that the plant is not under threat of discussion. In the economic climate, you're making the assumption that the money will be there to pay for the cost of operating the plant.
There's also the consideration of the stability of the geographic region, and this could be an earthquake, tsunami, or flood-prone region. Now that we're seeing with climate change some thousand-year floods and some devastating floods in areas that are not typically prone to flooding, this raises a concern about the geolocation of the nuclear power plant. Where will we put it and how flood-prone, earthquake-prone, and politically unstable prone is the area. So if you are in an earthquake, tsunami, or flood, it's not so much that the plant itself can get damaged. Nuclear core facilities are pretty hardened, meaning that they can take a lot of stress, they can withstand uh, fire, they can withstand flooding to a regional reasonable level. They're engineered so that they withstand earthquake vibrations and stresses. It's more a situation with the support system around the plant. So if something goes wrong with the water flow, if the power grid goes down and you lose your electrical supply for a time that exceeds the length that the generator will run, those are often bigger concerns because there's a great deal of infrastructure that goes into supporting the ability of the nuclear reactor to run and to run safely. So if the support systems go down, then a nuclear plant can definitely be put in a tenuous position. No one anticipated that in wartime there would be the potential of shelling, especially with large munitions, or that munitions would be parked close to a nuclear facility, meaning if munitions were taken out in the shelling, the explosion could be intense enough to damage the nuclear plant. These plants were not designed taking this into consideration as a general rule. Drought can also be a problem. You have to have enough volume of water, and the water temperature has to be low enough so that it sufficiently cools the plant. So in Europe, for example, with the drought of summer of 2022, one of the issues with operating nuclear plants has been as the cooling needs of the plant are significant, the temperature of the water is going to have to be low enough so that when it's taken into the facility that it sufficiently cools and it's, you've also got to have enough volume of water. The second issue is that you need enough volume of water in the reservoir so that when the cooling water is released back into the environment, it's released into a large lake or a large river. There's got to be enough volume so that when the hot water comes back, it doesn't create an ecological disaster by raising the overall water temperature too much. So if the reservoir is reduced in volume or if the river is reduced in flow, you could be introducing heated water into an environmental system that would result in the killing of plant or animal life by raising the water temperature level an, excess, an excessive amount. So we don't want to kill the rivers. So these are some of the issues with nuclear power and how it's intermingled with climate change and with political and economics instability. So one of the really grave concerns about adding more nuclear plants are just these things. And the situation between Russia and Ukraine is an excellent example as is the significant levels of drought in Europe and the loss of some of the nearby water systems or the potential of the loss of some nearby water systems. So it's a dangerous situation overall and one to keep an eye on. And because Zafirija is such a large plant, 
and the workers operating on this plant are few in number and experiencing high levels of stress, low levels of sleep and rest. They're basically operating this plant from gunpoint, according to what we read in the news. That is really not how you want your nuclear power plant to run. So that's in the news this week on nuclear energy and just we've done kind of an in-depth dive into the relationship between how nuclear plants work and what some of the issues are when a nuclear plant is in a situation that goes unstable, whether that be climate instability, geopolitical instability, or economic instability. Thank you for joining me, and we'll be back with our next podcast to discuss the latest breaking scientific, technical, and environmental news. For more news and stories, please visit us on our website, bluemesamedia.com. That's blue dash mesa dash media dot com. Thank you. And this is Dr. Mary Baker. And I enjoyed being with you today for this podcast.